This event was recorded live at the 2016 Edinburgh International Book Festival. There we go. You're ready that? Yeah. Hello, Edinburgh. Have <laughs> I wanted to say that? I've said it. How are you getting off? <laughs> Hellish weather, eh? <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Good evening. Uh, welcome to the Edinburgh International <coughs> Book Festival. My name's Jenny Brown, and it's a huge pleasure this evening to be introducing Gregor Fisher and Melanie Reed. And we're here. Yes, let's have a big clap. And we're here to talk about Gregor's remarkable, uh, story, remarkable story of his childhood, as told by Melanie in the book The Boy From Nowhere. Gregor will be very well known to you uh, as a brilliant comic actor on stage and screen, and he became a household name with the Rabsi Nesbitt series. As also, he was the iconic baldy man on the television ads and the Hamlet ads. He starred in BBC dramas like The Tales of Parahandi. His films include, include Love Actually, and he's about to be in the about to be released remake of Whiskey Galore. Really? <laughs> what will he be playing in that? <laughs> Melanie Reid is a writer and journalist who's worked for the Herald, she's worked for the Scotsman and the Sunday Mail. And since 2010, when she had a riding accident, she's written the spinal column in the Times Saturday magazine. And it was a cracking column today. Did anybody else read it? Yeah. Um, so you'll know that those extraordinary life, her extraordinary life-affirming response to her disability, sometimes quite painfully frank to read, but always wry, has gained her um, fans everywhere. And just a few months ago, she was awarded an MBE for her services to journalism and to people with disability. <laughs> so, this is a very complicated story. Did anybody see that wonderful BBC documentary about Gregor's childhood just before Christmas? Yeah. Well, for those of you who didn't see it, you will know. I have to say, it is quite a complicated story to get to grips with. So I'm going to turn first, for a precy of that story, to the expert on Gregor's childhood. And actually, that expert is not Gregor himself. <laughs> it's Melanie. Melanie, over to you. <laughs> I know a lot more than, than Gregor does about, about all this. Um, because by the time, before Gregor was four years old, he'd had three different sets of parents. Um, and of course, he didn't know about that. Uh, he thought he just had one set of parents that took him through life. But he, he, had, uh, he, was, he thought his mother was a lady called Sis, who was old enough to be his grandmother. Um, and in fact, Sis was the sister of his adoptive father. Um, but his adoptive mother had died very tragically in a fire. Um, and he didn't discover this for, for many years. Um, he also then thought that they were his real parents, his adoptive parents. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't until he was in his 40s, even 50s, that you found out that 
you were in fact, uh, it was, well, it, you, you were certainly mature. <laughs> Before he found out that he was in fact, uh, he'd been, he was, he was the illegitimate child of, of, um, <laughs> of I'm a bastard. There you are, I've said it. No, there's a nicer way of saying it. I think it's quite nice. I think it's all right. You're a love child. All my children, I used to, uh, we were, had children before we got married and, and uh, they were all bastards. <laughs> and I used to say, Dad, what's a bastard? I said, well, technically, actually, you're not a bastard. You are the bastard children of a bastard, so you're gits. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. But you, you're a love child. <laughs> <laughs> We're not making this up, by the way. Listen, I used to work in tabloid newspapers. You're a love child, okay? Fair enough. Um, but his father was... Um, he, his father was the same age as his grandfather, and he was a he was sort of Mr. Somebody. He'd been a he was a, a county councillor. He was important. He was a uh, a man in his sixties. He was a customs and excise officer, and he had a an affair of some kind. And it was we, I'd like to think it was a romance, with um, a clerkess <laughs> in one of the whiskey distilleries. And Gregor was a sort of hidden, secret family with his sister. And so, but took a long time to find all that out and to find out where they lived. Uh, it was a story that was, because it was the 1950s and it was a thing of shame, it was buried very deep. So that's where we got to in the end. Sure, thanks very much for coming. Gregor, <laughs> <laughs> what made you decide to tell your story when you did? Uh, I didn't actually decide. It was something that crept up in me, really. Uh, the, 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 this isn't something that, you know, every moment of my waking time was spent trying to ferret out information about this, that, and the next thing. It just wasn't like that. And uh, initially, uh, I suppose I was vaguely interested because a chum of mine uh, called Sheila Duffy uh, who's a genealogist and, you know, finds out about all these things. You know, I thought, well, well maybe uh, um, Sheila could find out one or two, and give me one or two pointers, which, uh, uh, bless her, she did. And then I kind of went off the boil and then I thought, oh, who cares? And, and uh, there was, uh, I have a, we have a common friend called Annie Moore, who is uh, my wife's cousin who's the Lord Lieutenant of Somerset. I married above myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember my mother uh, <laughs> saying to me when she met my wife, <laughs> she said, do you not think you're aiming a wee bit high, son? <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, um, Annie Moore had a most dreadful riding accident. Uh, how many years ago did Annie have an accident? 
Oh, eight eight years before me, so that's uh, that's four. Uh, yeah, yeah. Twelve. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, 14, uh, 14 years. 14 years. Yeah. So, uh, she's visiting our place, uh, our home, and uh, uh, in France. And, uh, well, it makes any difference. Could have been done in, but it was her <laughs> house. Um, the, uh, you tell them that, that wee bit this bit, because this, this is your bit of the story, really. Well, Annie, when I was in the spinal unit and I started writing, uh, Annie, this person completely unknown to me, the stranger started writing, telling me about her, how traumatic her life had been because of what had happened to her, falling off a horse. And she, she wrote me a letter every week, even though there was no reply for a long, long time because I wasn't in a position to reply. Um, and she became a, a deep friend, a great friend and a mentor for me. And we've, we've developed a really strong friendship. And so she, when she got talking with Gregor one time, she, she basically said to him, she persuaded him one night to tell, tell her his story. Yeah, everybody had gone to bed and Annie and I were left uh, uh, sitting by the fire and she said, you know, I, I, you had a very interesting childhood, didn't you? I said, well, I suppose it's <laughs> interesting looking in, maybe not was so interesting looking out. <laughs> Uh, anyway, she said, I, I, so I sketched out this. She said, oh, that's an absolutely fascinating story. You must simply must write it down. I said, I, I, said, I left school with one O-level art, oh, still life and embroidery, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I said, write it down. No, I said, I've got a man called Ian Parson who does things like that for me. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to be writing she says, well, I know this woman. She's a really nice woman, uh, Melanie Reed. Uh, she's a journalist, and that's me right after the boil for a start, journalist. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Karen, she did quite a good, she did quite, she, I mean, she, did, she didn't get any money out of this, didn't she? No, she but she did a big sell on she you. She was the fixer. She thinks you're just chocolate. She put us to, she... she as, uh, as I do now, but she, that's another story. She, anyway, she persuaded me to get in touch, and we got in touch, didn't we? Yeah, and you came to see me, and you were wary as anything because you really don't like journalists one little bit, and... But you're not a real journalist, really. And <laughs> if you see what I mean. <laughs> that's a compliment, believe it or not. And um, I didn't... I didn't do celebrity journalism. I didn't particularly like celebrities, and I... Um, Marriage made in heaven. I, I'd never ghostwritten a book. In fact, I'd never written a book. I'd never ghostwritten a book, and I, I, uh, I quailed at the thought. Uh, but Gregor and I, kind of, after a rather wary start, and tiptoeing around each other, we kind of, we kind of sort of, it kind of took off, didn't it? Uh, and and uh, we, got, we got going, and... I started off by, I thought it was a straight ghostwriting job, and so I, I laboured away writing two or three very laborious chapters in the first person, trying to put myself into Gregor's shoes, trying to be, trying in some way, and I defy anyone to do it, to replicate how funny he is, to replicate that in, 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 on the page. Uh, and I sent him this offering, and there was this long, in email, and there was a long silence, and I had a bad feeling about it. And, uh, and then he phoned up eventually, and he said, I'm coming to see you. And I thought, ooh. And he came, and he said, look, I can't do this. I can't do this in the first person. 
um, you're going to have to tell this story. You're going to have to, to, to... And he said, why don't we do Travels with Gregor or something like that? You got the bill. I said, Travels with Mel, I said. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and thus it evolved into something that... that a, a vehicle that worked for both of us. Um, and, and we sort of drove around and found the places where he had come from and lived and it it became a, a if you like it sort of opened up the opened up the valve and we were able to 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 tell it that way and it works really well I mean it you know, because you've got the narrative of Gregor in the third person growing up but also these little interjections of the two of you on the road together and I love this bit at one point you describe going out in your old golf car saying Gregor's usually in a Mercedes and you're on your old beat up Polo. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and uh, you say not so much Johnson and Boswell, more dastardly and muttly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's true. It was. It was. Uh, we were both. We were both complete novices, and <coughs> and thus it is a most totally unconventional uh, memoir or autobiography because it's it doesn't. It's not at all like any celebrity biography. Uh, well, let's, let's start off by painting the picture of Gregor as you, as a wee guy, you grew up with this quite fantastic woman called Sis. Can you just tell us a bit more about her? The one you have always thought of as mum. Well, I suppose uh, my uh, mother, this could get confusing, there's a lot of mothers in this, okay? <laughs> but uh, my take on the whole subject uh, is my mother is and will always be the person who did the job. Uh, and they wiped my nose and various other parts of my anatomy and picked me up and cuddled me and looked after me and all that. And that's what she did. And she was called Sis. And uh, uh, she was one of these little women, uh, women that you'd, you'd, probably, you'd, pass, you'd pass by in the street. You just walk, you know, she was an ordinary little woman. Uh, do you get folk like that in Edinburgh? Is that just Glasgow? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Um, <laughs> um, she was a diminutive little woman. She was a small woman. She had uh, that uh, colour of dyed red hair that's so, 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 it's uh, kind of redolent of the, you know, our friends from Eastern Europe. No, I've got anything against anybody from Eastern Europe, but they've got a lot of red hair folk for Eastern Europe, don't they? They're mad in it, aren't they? You say, ooh, ooh, yeah, bugger. Um, and she had, a, she had a jar. It was long before nice and easy, or it was probably a bit too expensive for my mother, nice and easy. But she had a jar with this kind of noxious dying, and she had a comb, and she had long, long hair, mama. And she'd comb it right through, never getting quite to the root of the matter. <laughs> comb it right through. Hair was done up, plated, a bun hairnet. So um, she looked vaguely kind of Coronation Street kind of, yeah, and the penny. Um, and she wasn't, I suppose she wasn't that very old uh, when I uh, turned up. Um, she'd be in her 50s, but she, she always looked like a granny. You know, women seemed to look older and those days, you know, they didn't have kind of nice smart shoes like you have and gold shoes and the kit. So they were old, do you know what I mean? Um, but she was just, uh, 
She was just my mother. That was that was that was all. I don't really know what else to say about her. She was she was an ordinary, <laughs> extraordinary woman. You know, she was one of these women that nobody ever. You know, she never put her head above the parapet. Uh, nobody ever gave her a prize, and nobody. She just did what she did. She was a housewife. She looked after John Lecky, my father. She looked after the rest of the house. She just got on with it. Uh, if you felt and skint your knee, you'd, she'd look after you. If you, you know, she was kind. She was loving, and uh, she took you to church. We went to church quite a lot. That was a downer. <laughs> I was quite keen on the church initially, but um, no, she was quite church. She was quite churchy, but not not uh, no, you know, fanatical about it. But so, aged uh, up to the age of what, fourteen? Yeah. You assumed that she was your absolutely your your mum. You didn't know anything different. I think I well, I think I assumed that, that uh, something had happened, um, and uh, that I had ended up there. Uh, but uh, uh, maybe it was a bit dim or something. I don't know. It just never occurred to me. I was happy. I can remember the first day of being taken to Nielsen, so I knew it was a kind of new place. Um, and, and my house in Nielsen was on a hill, and it looked over to Glasgow, and you can see the entire city of Glasgow twinkling in all its glory. glory. Glasgow's much better for a distance, I find. <laughs> and it's twinkling. I'll get into trouble. There's Glasgow people there, there, I know it. It's twinkling. And I, we had an outside lavatory. And uh, I remember being carried round in the arms of this wee woman to, to go for my final pee of the night and thinking, this is fabulous, I've died and gone to heaven here. So there was a whole sort of security thing. And I, I don't know whether I'd blanked out anything that had gone before, or the, you know, that we've subsequently discovered what happened. Uh, or, or, but I just, you know, I, 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 yeah, it was just, that was the way it was. But when, it was when you were 14. Yeah. That kind of it all, you really did find out. I know what you're getting at here. You're, you're saying in, a, in your way, get to the point of the matter. <laughs> and I will. So here's what happened when I was 14. <laughs> there was a christening in the family. I can't remember for the life of me whose christening it was, but christenings were being talked about. In my house, there was, a, there was always a supper. Supper wasn't what people talk about supper. Supper was around about nine o'clock, just before you got your bed, you know. Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there'd be scones. My mother was a baker. Scones, there'd be... Uh, Toasted cheese, not cheese on toast, toasted cheese, and all that kind of carry on. So they were chat, chat, chat in a way about this christening and what would, you know, in my house. Where was I christened? Silent. Oh, I thought, because I was, I think I was quite, uh, I, was, I, I, I could sense atmospheres and, you know, you think there's something. So, being the determined little bugger I was, I said, where was I christened? Oh, mother's up with a tear. Give me more tear. Have another scone. Oh, I thought something going on here. And I'm 14, you know what I mean? I don't know what way up, you know, I mean, 14. So anyway, I stomped back. I went to my bedroom, got in bed, but fed up with the whole thing. I don't know what's going on. 
my house was one of those kind of houses that was, it was fairly free and easy. There was nothing uh, uh, odd about that. But if somebody was odd brushing their teeth, it'd be somebody on the loo. Uh, you know, it's the to and fro in a family life. Nobody shuts a door and all that. So that was the kind of deal, right? So I'm in the bedroom, rat ta tat tat at the bedroom door. I thought, I'm not open the bedroom door. <laughs> What's going on? And, and the... In comes my mother and I stay at some kind of... I immediately know something's not right. And she says, ah, well, it's just, well, well, you were adopted. And, uh, you know, that's, and you, well, you know, you live, you live here now. And she reached across and did something. My house was a very loving household. But there was near that. You know, you see people in the middle of George Street, men cuddling each other and all that, carry on. I know this, darling, how are you? I mean, I do that now because I'm in the theatre. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there was none of that moochy, moochy, kissy, kissy nonsense, you know. But a great show. <laughs> if, my mo if my mother was being affectionate, she'd give you a pat on the head. <laughs> okay, one pat on the head. Right? So she came over to the bed when I'm lying and she patted me once on it. Not once, but twice. <laughs> that was it. Never mentioned again. And, but what happened then? Did you just let the matter lie? And until you had, you had, it well, was you a see, letter. You know what happened then. And I, I don't I like telling this bit of it because I was, a, I was, not nice after that. I really wasn't nice. I led my mother on merry dance and did some terrible things. Terrible, terrible things. Uh, she would give you her breakfast in the morning. I'd, you know, I'd see, God, I, whew, I'll have to have several lifetimes returned for this. I used to take, she'd give you a bowl of your cornflakes and I'd say, what's this? and worse besides. And uh, that went on for a long time. That went on for a long time. And uh, to give you an idea of what this woman was like, she just kept going. She just kept, um, she just kept, uh, you know, giving it. She just kept being nice, being caring, being loving, put whatever label you want on it. But she, you know, until, um, until uh, the whole thing was reconciled with much weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth on my part, which weren't, which were quite genuine that I'd come across this person who actually uh, put up with that kind of shit. She supported you all your days. It's quite a nice yeah. book, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, we made an awful lot of effort in this book. Our little watchword when this book was being written is, for God's sake, let's not make it like Angela's ashes. <laughs> You know, because, I mean, you saw again, I'll be a nice book for the bed, you know. I, oh, that's his hellish John. <laughs> Have you seen? Oh, I'm not reading that. Do you know what I mean? Tell them about Sis and how she supported you when you started acting. When you took her, when you brought her to the premier, the, the, the Lyceum, the Royal Lyceum. Oh, the Royal Lyceum, that was a good, yes. We were doing that. There was a show at the Royal Lyceum, I can't remember, I think it was a Russian play called Diary of a Scoundrel. Um, the, uh, was supposed to open the new season of the Royal Lyceum in Edinburgh. It was a new company had been put together or something, something like that. Anyway, 
royalty was to be in attendance. Uh, Her Royal Highness the Princess Margaret was going to be there. And we were given uh, tickets. Uh, people in the cast were given tickets. You were there, you were in it, weren't you? Aye, sorry, that's a pal of mine. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, th- I think we got two tickets each or something. So I determined that I should have my, my mother and her sister, my Aunt Agnes, um, should come and see this uh, production. Uh, was Mara Shearer in it or no? This might be a mixture of two stories, but bear with me. <laughs> I'm getting old, you know. And uh, the, for the purposes of the occasion, mother had decreed, or decided that she would wear red hair, bun, hairnet, a tiara. <laughs> which she had come across at the Nielsen Parish Church Jumble Sale. <laughs> Is that fair enough? But the problem with the said tiara was there was one or two stones missing. <laughs> so John Leckie in those days, my father, uh, smoked capstan cigarettes. Caps in the flat package, you know, there was always a nice bit of silver paper on the top. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing daunted, mother. And stuffed it in. She says, I'll glint nice in the, the lights. They'll never know the difference. <laughs> so she. And to commemorate the entry of HRH, the Princess Margaret, into the dress circle, there was a sort of fisheye lens picture taken of from where the stalls would be, but back into the auditorium, right? And you could see that. that uh, you know, they're obviously playing the anthem because everybody's giving it plenty of that. Eyes front, Princess Margaret at the back, up in the circle there. And just below the circle, as the <laughs> anthem is being played, there are two <laughs> wee figures <laughs> just b- below. And on another occasion, <laughs> she came to see the cherry orchard at the Lyceum with the lovely, much-loved uh, Moira Shearer, who is a fabulous lady, and playing Madame Ranovskaya in the cherry orchard. And I thought it would be an awful good thing, because my mother, you know, she's seen the pictures, red shoes, come on. <laughs> so I said, Mum, come and meet her. Come and meet Moira. My mother's sitting there, let's stay. Oh, she goes up and says, Oh, yes, and what do you do? (laughs) 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 Which, of course, you know, I'm absolutely mortified. I'm in my 20s, you know, I think, Oh, I wish I was Dido. God, this is dumb. But I'd give a king's ransom for that to happen today. (gasps) Always the case. (laughs) <laughs> what are we going to talk about now? You didn't, I didn't put that in the book. You wouldn't let me put that in the book, that story. No, I, I thought, well, I've got this, she's got two daughters. Maybe they thought I was taking the mickey or I don't want, you don't want to upset people, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, we? do you? <laughs> There's a lot of things you didn't put in the book. 
<laughs> shall, we, shall we talk about the letter that you got as yes. a later teenager? And it was the first intimation about your sister. Yes. Well, as I previously stated, uh, this wasn't something that was an obsession in my life. Um, uh, you know, I just never thought much about it. But I did get a letter when I was working, long before drama schools and all that kind of carry on. Um, I was working in a pub in uh, the border town of Langham, where a lot of relatives were. I mean, there's a lot of farms down there. So I think I used to shunted out there, out the way, which suited me dandy. Uh, I had a kind of mixed relationship with my father, so I think everybody was glad to see the back of me on occasions, uh, which was fine. And uh, I got a letter uh, saying, uh, my name is Maureen, I am your sister, would you like to meet me? <laughs> what are you going to do? Do you know what I mean? What would you do? Would you go? Possibly. Um, so I said, so, uh, right, okay. I, I said, okay. So I'm, I, uh, I made the decision to, to go, and I didn't have very many smart clothes in those days. Uh, so I was kitted out in my cousin's best reading tailor suit and packed off on the train to Glasgow uh, to where uh, I, we had arranged to meet. Uh, I'm not making this up. Uh, outside the lost property office in Glasgow <laughs> Central Station. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know the irony of that had escaped me at the time. You know what the shell was? They moved the shell now. They're not moving things, but the shell was up there. The shell was there, and that's where they lost property. They moved that, you know, everything to be moved. And uh, so, uh, I, and we, we had made no. Uh, we didn't say we'll be wearing something special or carrying a a copy of the, the London Times under our left oxter or something, you know, none of that, it was nothing, it was nothing Graham Greene about it, so, but then, but funnily enough, we met there, yeah. And from there, gradually, over the years, you got to know a bit more. Yeah, Maureen knew a bit, she was a bit older than me, um, so we could, we, we kind of pieced things together, and uh, uh, we, uh, we, it, beca it became apparent that there was more to this than, than met the eye, but um, uh, it wasn't something we dug away at and dug away at. You know, she, I, I wouldn't see her for, you know, a couple of years and then maybe we'd meet up again and everything. It's like, a, you know, it's like, it was like uh, meeting a stranger. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's different from other people. Maybe you go, oh, you're my brother and that's it. Oh, you're my sister. Oh, it's my mother. I, like, yeah, I don't know, but it just—it wasn't. Uh, it is now, but that's only time that's done that. But she found out that your 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 birth mother, uh, your birth mother had died when you were eighteen months old, and that uh, her sister was still alive, a woman called Ruby, and so together, I don't know how the pair of you decided out of the blue to go and try and find Aunt Ruby. Well, that's right, we did, we did. And uh, mm. it wasn't quite the open-armed welcome. No, you see. No. You didn't warn her, that was one reason. <laughs> <laughs> you just showed up. Nobody warned me either, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good 
good point. I was doing a pantomime, I remember that much. I was doing a pantomime in Glasgow, I can't remember it was, but probably with the late, great Ricky Fulton and lovely Jack Mulroy. And uh, um, we knew this ant existed, so we'd, Maureen and I decided that we'd go and see the ant. Say hello, why not? Um, must have been on a Sunday because there'd be two shows a day. Uh, so we drove out, and I had a very nice powder blue, but, 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 but fourth hand, fifth hand, the powder blue Mercedes. I was hell of a pleased with this, I thought it was great. Powder blue. <laughs> Marvellous colour. <laughs> and, we, and we drove out to Alawa uh, and uh, found the, uh, this address, you know, a stone built, semi detached, pink chips. We have arrived. <laughs> Somewhere. Alawa. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Is there anybody in tonight from Alawa? <laughs> oh. <laughs> You'll know what I'm talking about then. <laughs> so. We're not related in any way, are we? <laughs> you might be. <laughs> Everything's possible. So we drove, we drove up, right, so Maureen, my sister, is quite a nervous creature, very nervous. And uh, so I said, oh, it's fine, everything's cool, everything's okay. So we got to the place, uh, there's a man up a ladder, I remember, at the side of the house, some of the tarts, pink chips. And <laughs> I said, maybe that's Uncle Bobby. <laughs> up a ladder there. <laughs> Stop it, you, she says, Maureen. So anyway, we go crunch, 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 up the drive, rat tat 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 on the door. And the door is opened and she's there in all her splendour. Big roomy woman. <laughs> Twin set, nice tweed, Cuban heels. I said, I said, tell me, sorry, uh, I said, I'm not here to cause you any trouble or disturb you in any way. I said, but my name is, uh, my name is Gregor and this is Maureen. I said, we're Kit's children. And she looked at us. She said, I'm terribly sorry, but I have workmen in the house. <laughs> Shut the door. Maureen, <laughs> get in the car, in the car, in the car, it doesn't matter, who cares, she's nothing to us, get in the car, get in the car, get in the car, get her in the car, and they get in, they're in the door, she's, <laughs> I tell you, I'm back in the car, I just look back at the house, and then you can just see the curtain. <laughs> so I remember that was a wee bit of a mistake. Was it? What do you think? Mistake? What would you do if there was a rat-a-tat-tat and somebody came to the door and said, guess who? <laughs> You'd be curious. Yeah. You'd at least say, come in, come for a wee Nescafe or something. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you? Maybe a wee biscuit <laughs> if it dragged on a bit. Anyway, that was the story. But Mel, they, he, Maureen and he met with a lot more enthusiastic welcome elsewhere, didn't they? You did. You found your father's side of the family, who were very gracious and nice and welcomed you into them. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you, you became firm friends with your 
half-brother who I was... did. We didn't do the direct approach that time. Yeah. We learnt our lesson. <laughs> we, we wrote a letter. Hmm. And he, he was, in fact, uh, he was a generation older than you were, your half-brother, because, as I say, your, your, real, your birth father was the same age as your grandfather. Yeah. Um, but... There's hope for all us old boys yet. Sixty-two. <laughs> <laughs> eh? Come on. <laughs> so you you. You've got a nice grin on your face when I said that. <laughs> Everybody else looked a bit poor-faced, but <laughs> at least you were honest. <laughs> <laughs> so you, th there are a, you know a number of encounters with various members of the family. Yeah. Over the years, some more welcoming than others. And Mel, by the time that you started to um, travel with Gregor to try and find out more, what were, you, what were you looking for that hadn't been discovered at that point? We had, we had birth certificates and death certificates. Um, we had the sort of skeleton. As Gregor always says, you can have the names and the dates, but it doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't tell you how they lived, how they loved, what they were like as people. Um, and what we tried to do, or what I tried to do, was to put some flesh on the bones to try and sort of trace back their lives and look at, set them in their, their, their time. And we found out about your father. Your father had been through the First World War and what had shaped... He was a Victorian, he'd born in Victorian times, and what had shaped him as a person that at the age of 62 he came to you know, go crazy and take such risks and, and, and develop a, a, a second family. Um, and we found his war record, uh, which was interesting, <laughs> to say the least, because I think everyone likes to think that bo both Gregor's maternal grandfather and his birth father um, had been at the Somme together. At the tail end of the Somme, they were both in France um, in the aftermath of the Somme. Um, and Gregor's father was not 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 in the heroic position of the trenches, but doing oh, something. That depends on your point of view. He was possibly <laughs> doing something even more heroic, which I think you should talk about. He was he was, ladies and gentlemen, he was in the sanitary section. <laughs> well, that's an important job, a sanitary section, isn't it? And it wasn't just to do with digging holes, was it? It was he had a machine for fumigating stuff and all that kind of stuff. It's a very technical job. He, 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 yes. He survived possibly because he, I think he went through the Somme and he survived because he wasn't in the trenches. He was behind the lines digging latrines, emptying urine pits um, and fumigating uh, with, with sulphur. He had this extraordinary contraption which looked about the size of a smart car which they pumped uh, sulfuric gas in to try and um, uh, kill the kill the, the germs and the the infections and the gangrene. Um, so he survived that for many many years, um, and I think possibly physically and mentally these things took their toll as much as being in the trenches. But You're it, a nice woman, really, aren't you? <laughs> well, that that's Melanie's Melanie. I, the only we didn't have a, we didn't have any arguments we had but we had maybe a slight sort of tussle now and again because and I'm I, I really don't mean in by this but you're a woman <laughs> and I'm not being smart here but you saw this and wanted it to be 
or thought it to be, you can correct me in a minute, honestly, um, a romance. We don't know that. We, deep we, down, don't, we don't know that. Deep down, you wanted it to be a romance too, because everyone wants to think they were born out of love. And I think what I tried to do with the book was to present the facts and to let the readers make their own mind up about whether it was indeed a love affair or whether he just used your mother for sex. And I personally think the evidence stacks up for the former, that it was indeed a lasting relationship uh, that he found late in his life. Uh, and she was a lonely, she was disabled by a heart condition. Um, and potentially she, he exploited her, but I don't think that was the case. But Gregor tries not to be emotional and tries to be very cool about it and say, oh, but I think... But the truth is that, the truth is, we don't know. We don't know, but, but we, we in the book I tried to... You'll never know. ...allow people to make their own minds up. Um, we did an enormous amount of investigation uh, together and found out a lot, but even when the book was almost complete, there was still one last missing bit of the jigsaw. I had, we had, what, two, three weeks to deadline. And uh, there was one thing we had not found and um, the genealogists had not been able to find, and that was where Gregor's mother had been buried. And we, we had scoured, I'd had, I'd had friends out scouring uh, burial records in, in Stirling and Clackmannanshire. Um, we had we had done everything we could, um, and uh, we couldn't find her grave. And then we had an idea that maybe she'd been buried, maybe she had been uh, cremated because, um, you know, in the 19, 1954, I think it was, um, but we couldn't find it. We found out the crematoriums weren't built, hadn't been built in 1954. And a f that friend of mine happened to be at the Mitchell Library for another reason. And she said, I'm going to look to search there. And she sent me a text. She had found your mother and she had been uh, cremated. She was one of the very small number of people that was cremated at the, um, the, the Glasgow Necropolis necropolis in the 1950s. Mary Hill Creme. Mary that's Hill Creme. Right. <laughs> oh no, that's what it's called. So we went there. We did. And that became, in fact, it was the sort of the last minute epilogue to the book because we went there and, and that in itself was... I was actually, have I told you this? I was, I was in Mary Hill that day when you phoned or texted. Did really? you text? I texted Because I was doing a play at National Theatre for Scotland. <laughs> And we were rehearsing, and uh, it was lunchtime, and we were, we were up at that uh, cafe, uh, Jack and Ellie's. Shouldn't be there, but it was very good fish and chips. And we're sitting eating that, and the text goes, and uh, oh, we found her. Uh, Mary Hill Crematorium. I thought, that's that weird. That's just up the back. It's just up the back of there. I thought that was a bit odd. So we went there, we met there on a Sunday when, when, when the, the, the the crematorium wasn't being used, and we we went. Gre Gregor makes you laugh in the most inappropriate circumstances. No, 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 no. You've got to admit it was a very weird experience. Well, when you stuck your head in and said, "I'm not being funny, but it's hell of a hot in here." <laughs> I. That's true. It was warm. Admit I it. 
I was, a, I was sort of a teensy bit embarrassed in case anyone heard. There was a guy in there, though. you remember him? Yep. Never forget him. So we goes into this place and we think, well, I don't know, what you, there must be a book, some kind of records or something. Uh, uh, so this chap comes in and he's got, do you know that, uh, those trousers you get, the, the sort of maitre d's wear, they're vaguely sort of stripy, you know, they're quite smart trousers, but a t-shirt, <laughs> right? A t-shirt, quite a kind of t-shirt. I says, all right, uh, can I help you? I says, yes, I says, we're just, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're actually looking for someone. Well, we're not, it's not someone, but we're, <laughs> what do you say? We're looking for uh, a person who uh, might have been uh, cremated here. Right? There's a lot of tattoos going on. I swear this is true. There's a skull going on here. <laughs> Big tattoo of a skull, I think, ooh. He must like his job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he says, uh, what was a year? Was it a year? Have you got a year? I said, yes. I said, it was 1957. Have you got that right? Uh, 57, isn't it? Uh, I, 57, yeah, whatever, for yeah. the purposes of the story. 57. I think it was 56. Was it? 56. <laughs> anyway, I got the right date, whatever. Uh, um, and we got the date. We, we had it written down. I see the records are no here at a minute. I don't want to stare, but me and you, I'll go and see. <laughs> what was her name again? I says, Catherine uh, McGregor Mackenzie. Catherine McGregor Mackenzie. I think, wait, bear with me. Help me stare around and over something about. Vicky was there. You, me, and Vicky. And it was hot. And we're sitting about. <laughs> and uh, he, com he comes back. He comes back doing this day with a kind of ledger thing. When you know that sticky tape? You do parcels up, maybe, you know, you stick all the cardboard, that shiny stuff that you can't kind of tear. You've got to get the scissors and it really annoys you. The, the binding of the book stuck with that. I thought that's Well, it was right, nearly it? 60 years old, the book. Ah, oh, but they could have got, done a nicer job than that. <laughs> because this is somebody's records, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? I remember seeing my adoption papers for the first time and getting really irritated. It was a big brown envelope and they had a... Um, a metal thing on it with that thing you swirl round, you know. And that was rusty and I thought, come on, guy. That's my adoption papers in there, you know. Standards. <laughs> anyway, what was her name again? Catherine McGregor McKenzie. I don't know, it's true And there, she didn't say, there she was, number 25634. Catherine McGregor McKenzie. Unmarried. Ah, uh, yes. God bless the West of Scotland. <laughs> Unmarried. We should, we should perhaps tell the story about when we, we spoke at the Stirling Book Festival, which Stirling being quite close to Menstrie, which is where, Greg, where Gregor's mother lived and worked, and um, where it came quite close to home, if you like, because Menstrie was so close to Stirling. And there was an old man in the front row. Oh yes, that's right. Stirling is very near Menstrie. <laughs> I'll repeat the name first because it's a nice word. Menstrie. <laughs> 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 it's only about three or four miles down the cars for the foot of the ochles there. 
which we had forgotten about, hadn't we? We hadn't made the correct. We were doing this book festival in Stirling, and whatever. So it's gone reasonably well, and people are listening. They seem to be paying it, you know, whatever, and it's all fine. And uh, so I kind of spotted the guy earlier, as you do, because he was in the front row, wasn't he? He was quite intent, like, and he's leaning a stick. There's a stick involved, and he's leaning. I thought, well, he's maybe a bit corned beef, <laughs> as I am myself. <laughs> so he's listening. I thought well, there's nothing odd about that. So it came to the qu <laughs> questions and answers segment. <laughs> and this uh, person, I can't remember who was running the show. Was it you? Were you running it? You were running it. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's right. You remember this? I know. <laughs> uh, my hand goes up. I said, yes. He says, I can't your fair. <laughs> oh, I said, that's very interesting, yes. He, but he was such there's more, there's more. I was practically there at the conception. And <laughs> 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 I, I couldn't think of that. I, 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 was, I, I thought, well, I see it. I, I said, was it a good night? <laughs> be a really good time to ask people here if they had any questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have the house lights up and we've got some roving mics? We've just got maybe about five or ten minutes if anybody wants to ask Gregor or Melanie a question. Who's going to start us off? Oh, in the front row again. There we are. <laughs> yeah. Why did you choose the name Fisher? Uh, because the, the name Fisher was was the name of the people who I was originally adopted by. The official adoption, yeah. The official adoption. Official adoption. So I was born Gregor Mackenzie. My father was William Blake Kerr, and I was adopted by Fishers. Um, yeah. Quite boring answer, actually, but, but, <laughs> but that's it. Fisher was the name that uh, the original Fishers... Uh, there was a there was a family they couldn't have children but they had one child and um decided they would adopt um and uh, the, the the child they had was female and they wanted they went they went to uh the adoption people and said we'd like uh, i think you could pick up half a dozen at the time there was none of that you know what i mean how many would you like came away uh, um they said we'd like to adopt a girl for a friend for uh, the the existing daughter and uh, the adoption people said, well, they come as a pair. Him, I will take them as well. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm not being smart. I think that's the way it worked. You Fisher. did look adorable, though. I'm nice. I've uh, flagged a bit now. <laughs> Blonde <laughs> curls. Anybody else want to ask a question? Oh, one a little, here and one here. Up the top there. We'll take this one first and then this one. Um, my own memories of my childhood often involve my contemporaries, uh, kids I used to play with. You've said nothing about any of your contemporaries. Can you enlighten us, perhaps? About the people I used to play with? Play with, yeah, your, your age when you were a kid. Like Johnny. Uh, I can tell you about one of them, which I, I suppose is slightly odd. Um, who's a friend of mine to this day, 
in, in the village where I was brought up, there was a kind of posh area of houses, and then th which was through a sort of housing scheme place, and at the other end is where I lived in a kind of tumble-down old cottage, which was great. And it was a nice place, it was a warm place, lovely. Uh, it was home. And uh, I got to playing with this guy called Johnny Monaghan from the posh end of the village. Um, thought nothing about it, and his mother was uh, very welcoming and blah de blah de blah, and it was good. And I used to go down there on a Saturday, didn't see him during the week. He was a Glasgow Academy boy, and I was uh, Borheed High School. <laughs> ho ho! <laughs> Not the happiest years of my life, but that's an honest story. Um, anyway, we remained friends and have remained friends. Uh, and when we were about, when he was about 15, 16, he discovered he was adopted. <laughs> and uh, you think my life's interesting, dear God. <laughs> Gee, he's discovered five, five siblings. Oh. I mean, unbelievable. I think it's just madness on his part, him trying to talk me. <laughs> <laughs> but we, may, we, remain, uh, we remain good friends to this day. Uh, and uh, when I'm over in Glasgow, I mean, he's quite rich, Johnny. Uh, in fact, he's very rich as well. And uh, he's got a flat in uh, Warsaw and, uh, you know, Hussies in Warsaw and a flat in the west end of Glasgow and he very kindly lets me use it. Uh, uh, because that's just around the corner from um, Mr. Um, Paul Young and Sheila who live around the corner, so I'm in, it's great. So that's one of my people I used to know, or still do. We've got another question here. Um, I, I would like to ask you, um, um, obviously your childhood was quite traumatic, yet you have a fantastic sense of humour. Um, to what extent did you find this book resurrecting memories which you would otherwise have forgotten or wanted to forget and to, to what extent does this affect your own attitudes to the way you brought up your ch your own children I ask this because I, I haven't had quite such a traumatic experience as you've had but I've, I've also had difficulties in my own childhood my own parents and I find this has had quite a, an impact on me and Although you're very jovial about it, I can see at times that it does affect you very deeply. To what extent has it been a sort of cathartic experience in having this book? Uh, it was just about. Um, to, to, so, sorry. Yes. To, to what extent do you have you found this a, a, a cathartic experience? Was the cathartic experience writing the book, Gregor? Um, Thank you. That's a good question. You're not a psychiatrist at all, are you? <laughs> I'm being silly, but uh, I have a sister. I have two sisters, um, one of whom is uh, much older, uh, Anne's 70, 70. Uh, Maureen's a bit older than me, she's 68 or something. Um, they knew much more than I did. I was a very small boy with the benefit of blonde, curly hair. Uh, you know, it's, it was okay. And I, I suppose I had that kind of personality. Um, I mean, everybody's different. It wasn't a, 
it, there wasn't much, it wasn't very cathartic, was it? Am I lying? I don't think, I didn't feel it to be cathartic. Um, I didn't feel it, to, I think it was quite raw at times. Uh, there was bits that I wanted to keep to myself. Um, you know, there was like when, when we were making the BBC documentary, the, the, the people who were making it thought it would be a marvellous idea to go to the crematorium. I said, well, I don't think it's a marvellous idea. Why would I want to do that? Well, because that's, I said, no, we're not doing that. And there were certain things that were off limit because I don't want to do that. And yeah, I suppose, but, I, but everybody in this, everybody in this room has a, has a story to tell about something or another. Whether it be adoption or the death of the mother or the blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Everybody ha ha has, a, has a story to tell. And as far as my uh, children are concerned, from a, from a very early age, they, they've, they've had a very healthy disregard for uh, daddy as a an adopted person or uh, some kind of celeb and all that. You know, I recall, you remember when I was doing uh, uh, Rab Nesbitt, you, I used to leave my home to do personal appearances in a, in a string vest <laughs> and, uh, and with a bandage and you'd pop your head and they'd say, bye dad. <laughs> and, and the rest of it, the, you know, that's just, it's just, it's just normal. It, it, it has, uh, it, it was a very interesting and sometimes jaggy journey, but uh, I have to say in all honesty, it's not a journey uh, that I could have made without uh, 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 Miss Reed. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to leave it there. Um, Lights off. Yeah. Could you just let Gregor and Melanie get out? They're going to be signing copies in the signing tent immediately beside this main theatre. But could you just let's give them a huge round of applause? More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.